Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And just a reminder, our home base is wedontdie.com. That's easy to remember, where you can find our upcoming medium classes. You can join our free Sunday gathering. There's medium demonstration included. There's all kinds of things. And we welcome you to join us. At the bottom of that main page, we don't die.com, it says join my insiders club. That's just my email list, nothing fancy. But it says receive the first few chapters of my book. And here's the truth it's the entire book. Chapter 10 is how to survive grief which I think is the most important chapter. And I want you to have it if you don't have it already. So that's all at wedontdie.com. So on to our fabulous guest, as you see him smiling next to me. He is Robert Bartkowski. He is a martial arts instructor, certified massage therapist, Reiki master, and creator of the Back Pocket Zen Training. His mission is to share all that he has learned over the past 26 years plus to improve people's lives physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually through adapting and applying the ancient warrior ways for modern days. You can find out more about him and his programs on his website, which is backpocketzen.com. Robert, my brand new friend, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Uh, you know, I see that background every time I watch a video of yours, and here I am being part of it. There so you cool are. Stuff. I'm well, telling you right now. It was you who first wrote me. And yes. it just you just it just sounds interesting what you do and that you follow this show. And I thought we could just do a little dance to find out who you are. Absolutely. What the heck reeled you into watching We Don't Die and yeah. and what you're up to. And whatever you feel about life after death. How's that sound? You know what? That sounds fantastic. Um, how I found your show was uh, this past October, my mother-in-law had passed away, who uh, I was very close with. And just in, I'm the kind of person who gets into a research kick. If I'm into something, I, I have to just delve more into it and delve more and just keep looking and keep looking. And I came across your show and something just resonated with it. It just, it just clicked for me. And I believe the first guest I saw was uh, Barbara Grimes. And uh, Roberta Grimes. Oh, oh I'm sorry. That's I apologize. Right. That's oh right. man, I'm going to get, I'm in trouble now. Roberta oh, yeah. Grimes. I'm sorry. Oh, episode, I think it was 73. It's okay. And, uh, I was hooked. I was hooked. And, it, and, and, and not in the sense of, um, constantly needing any kind of validation. I think we we can kind of fall into the trap sometimes of of one more one more account, one more story in order to to serve as a validation. And for me personally, I had gotten. I, I've always been a believer in in the hereafter, in the spiritual, and in, in the supernatural. And uh, for me, it was it was more. It was it was it was more of a initially it was a validation, I think, because we all grieve and we all want that. We all want that proof. That is a very natural thing. Uh, I think I started to stream together the different guests 
and notice the commonalities. And that's just kind of how my mind goes. I look for common threads. And and I really enjoyed the fact, and I, I literally put it on, I would just let it go on my phone and just let episode after episode play as I was doing things and whatnot. And that that really is what drew me in to uh, to contacting you. I feel like this is for me, like a melding of like my two big passions in life, okay? Which are mind-body connection, that whole umbrella, and and the paranormal, spiritual, supernatural. So I'm, ever since the time I was about four or five, I've had this, and I don't know where I got it from, this fascination with either the mind-body thing uh, and, and, this, and the paranormal thing. On the mind-body thing, the first thing that how I, and I didn't even know what that meant back then, was martial arts. When I was a kid, the, the old David Carradine show, uh, the old Kung Fu show, my, my dad would put that on and I'm four or five years old and I watch it and I, I, I was just entranced. And looking back on it, yes, it was the martial art aspect, but the coolest part for me was the flashbacks to the temple with, with the master. And there was that, there was that, and even, I didn't even know what, what those words meant, or even if that was a term, was mind, body, but that's exactly what that was all about. So as I get older, I start to gravitate toward martial arts training, always with that that purpose, that mind-body. Okay, even to this day, the Karate Kid One is my favorite movie of all time because that archetypal character of the Mr. Miyagi with, with the with the with the the physical and the spiritual has gelled well, and that kind of has drawn me to that path. Now, the other big passion of mine was paranormal, spiritual. Metaph- metaphysical, okay? Again, as a kid, you don't know what those words are, even if those are terms, it's it's just ghosts and things like that. So then, you know, it, it kind of, the same way, I didn't know quite what mind-body meant. I just knew it was martial arts and, and interesting stuff. My grandmother, and I got to be honest, I have not met any more paranormally in-tune person than an old-school Italian Catholic grandmother. I mean, especially from like the 80s, they were just, I mean, my grandmother was so, she used to, be, this is this is how it got started. I'm five, six years old. Do you remember something called Fate Magazine? No. It was a little Reader's Digest size. It literally looked like an old TV guide or a Reader's mm-hmm. Digest, and it, and it was just called Fate. And it had everything from ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, Atlantis. Uh, everything you can think of is in this magazine. And she used to bring me these magazines as a kid. And here I am, six, seven years old, just starting to look through these magazines. And it really just started to, to snowball from there. You know what I mean? And to where these passions are. Now, the interesting point is the intersection of those two passions of mine, the mind, body, and the and the spiritual metaphysical I had I had gone through martial arts training. I, I still do to this day. And I went to massage therapy school in 2002 because that was, I was pulled toward it. I felt that was pulled toward that. Now, in that school, I've, there was a whole section on energy healing. Now, as soon as I saw energy healing, like something just clicked with me. Like that just, this is where you need to go. So that's, I really started to go down that path. Interesting thing is, there is a Chicago medium named Edward Shanahan, and he wrote a book called Talking with Spirits, How to Be a Medium. Now, anytime I see a how-to with something I'm interested in, I'm getting it. I'm picking it up. Well, he goes through all these different types of um, 
psychic or medium different uh, skills, I guess you could say. Now, my wife is very, she is very, she's very intuitive. She's very highly intuitive. I do not. Now, I always thought that would be cool to be, I mean, what could be cooler than being a medium to me? I think that's awesome. It just wasn't not something that I, I really feel is, is I would love to have that skill and I'm sure I could develop, but it doesn't come easy to me. Well, in this book, there's a whole section on healing. And I'm like, huh. And I keep reading this and it says, okay, people born under the sign of Leo have a, a natural inclination or produces many healers. That's what I am. And and that was a little click moment for me, like, okay, that makes sense. Why I've kind of felt the, the pull towards this this area. And another section was it said something to the effect of people with green eyes have a propensity towards it. You can't see it, but I've got green eyes. So I was just like, okay, that's where I really felt those two kind of come together. And and ever since then. It's I, I've really tried to always be open to receiving any type of intuitive nudges and messages. And that's really kind of where I try to be is, is that 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 area where you can just be receptive to things, you know, and that's that's as succinct as I can kind of throw 25 years into a, a couple seconds. Yeah, if it's. Funny. It's not funny, but that's what we do. Try to condense everything. Oh, yeah. Now you said in an email or something, you have a couple of stories of why you believe. And I know yeah. Believe, yeah. Oh, absolutely. We, we love a good story. I'll tell you right now. Okay. Uh, we go into, you know, I, I I've had several aha moments and I've had a few very uh things that just struck me that I cannot explain. Now, here's here's one of them. I'm about 13 years old. Now, at the time, my, my family had been going through some very severe financial hardships, and it was a very tense time in my family. Um, that particular day, it was a Saturday, my folks had both gone to work, and I, I can't remember where my sisters were, but I was home by myself. And we had a pool. Was actually one of the one of the things that we still had from before things got bad. So we, we really made use of that pool in the in the, in the summertime uh, because we didn't really have the air on at that point. So and like the old pools had that uh, two foot white fencing around the above ground pool, right? Mm-hmm. So my mother had told me do not go in the pool, and I know why because she was afraid something would happen. Well, I didn't listen to her, so I yeah I know. <laughs> Go figure, right? Yes. So we had the we had the gate, you know, the, the ladder used to latch up like that and lock it. So I climbed over, and this the story just gets dumber as it, my actions get dumber as I tell them out loud because it was what are you thinking? But I stacked up patio chairs on like a three and a half four foot pool, right? And I climb up there and I'm teetering there because I want to dive in. I, for some reason, I remember thinking I'm going to dive in, touch my toes, and and go into the water like the Olympic divers or something. So I do that, and I remember hiking, touching my toes, and thinking that was a good one. Comes straight down, right on my head, out. It sounded like a cannon went off, and like an electric shock went through me. And the next thing I know, I was—I mean, I'm out. The very next thing I know, 
my arms I'm hanging out of the water on the on the grate. And what, what actually kind of came to was my chin was resting on the bar and it was kind of hurting because my weight was, I was so limp that it was kind of pushing and it kind of, that's what I remember. And I, I remember being like in a, like a stockade, almost like those Halloween things where you put your arms and head in. And I have no idea how I got there. So for me, I didn't tell my parents this story for years because I didn't want to get in trouble. But finding out how bad things were later on, it became very clear to me that if something were to have happened to me at that point, it would have completely destroyed my family. So I I really do believe, I mean, I know what I felt. All I know is I hit the bottom. I don't remember a thing. The next thing, my arms are hanging outside, not just on the, I mean, I'm pulled out and my face is through those bars. And that is the discomfort of me being kind of limp and, and my chin weighing on that is what I, was what I remember kind of brought me to. I have no clue where I was at. But at that point, I even remember back then feeling, I remember I got out of the pool and everything just felt weird to me that day. Now, I mean, that could have been concussed or whatever, but I remember thinking it was just different. I remember feeling something different. I don't know. It took me a long time to realize that what I was feeling was a sense that that was something not of this earthly realm to me. That's the way I felt, right? I didn't tell my parents that story for years. And when I did, I only told them after I kind of got a full measure of how bad things were growing up financially and just the strain that it put on my family. So that it kind of synced up in my head, like, okay, now I understand. We're not tested past what we can what we can do. I firmly believe that. I think that that you know what? That's why these things happen. Um, and and the the other one that comes to my mind has uh, I've had three. I'll show you two. Uh, the, the second one, I was coming home. I was about twenty six, and I was coming home from a friend's party, friend's birthday party. Now, I had not been, it was at a pizza place about literally eight blocks down my street. You know the grid system where every eight blocks or mile, there's there's a light. And then every four blocks, there's like a half, not, not a major street, but it's not a side street. So I lived on one of those. And this place that I needed to go to was literally eight blocks down on the same road. So I was like, sweet, cool. I can just go down there and do and I'm a foodie, so I loaded up, but I didn't drink because at the time I was still training and, and uh, I was going to go down to Chinatown the next day for a day's training. So I didn't want to be like hungover, right? So I go down there. I'm coming home. It's probably about two o'clock in the morning. And I'm coming up to the light exactly four blocks. So halfway between my place and this, this pizza restaurant. And I'm approaching the intersection. And... At about, I'd say about 30 or 40 feet before the light, the light goes from red to green. So I started to depress the brake and then I just let it off and let myself kind of naturally coast through. Well, even when you hit that stop, 
to get from the stoplight to the middle of the street, that's a little ways, okay, to get there. I am dead in the middle of the street and a, a very large Cadillac blew this light. Now, I knew he wasn't trying to blow the light because the light had already been green from 40 feet back when I saw the light change. This guy just blew right through and he was going, I don't even know how fast he was going, but he was going very fast. I had a Nissan Sentra. He plowed into me, spun me around two times and put me up on some guy's lawn. Um, the instant before that happened, I, I just saw a bright flash of light. Now this is two o'clock in the morning. It's not a traffic light. It's a dark corner. And the, and the dude's lights were off. There was no headlights. So I didn't see him until he was right there. I felt a bright flash of light just out of this kind of corner. Boom. I'm spun around at least two times and up on this guy's lawn. This guy didn't even stop. Now, to go that fast, to plow into me, and to not break stride, because there were cars on the other side of the street that he didn't touch. He just went going. I didn't see it until the next day when I got home and had my buddy come bring me back to get my stuff out of the car. Directly, mine had a little Nissan Sentra car. Mm -hmm. Directly behind where that door, that little strip of metal is from the from the driver's side door to the driver's side rear door, literally about a half an inch to an inch from my door back, looked like Jaws took a bite out of it. I mean, the whole car was smashed in. I didn't see that when I got out of the car. All I knew was my car door opened. I knew I got, I knew it was bad, but I didn't see that until the next morning. Now, the next morning when I saw that, I couldn't explain it. I was so eerily calm when that happened to me. Even the spinning around, I remember thinking, like, I, I feel like I'm in a tilt-a-whirl, like at the carnival, right? Like, I, And I got out of the car. The poor guy who happened to be on his lawn, uh, I think he heard the accident. He was more freaked out than I was at the time. But I... Just remember the next day when it hit me just how serious that was. And it was that flash. And to this day, I remember that. And, and people can say anything they want. I know what I saw. It was a bright flash of light. And then I was hit. And I have no clue. There was no, and I, I, I've lived there for two years at that point. There was no traffic light there. There was not, you know, traffic camera, a blinking traffic camera. There's no, there was no traffic camera. And the guy's lights were off. So to me, again, I had that feeling just in the pit of my stomach that, wow, okay, not just you're okay. It's, all right, I think the angel just did a little and just moved you just, just a hair yeah. to keep you safe, you know? And those, those, those two had have, have really stuck out at me. There, there are things that when you go through it, you you just you remember every little detail. And this was what nineteen years ago. I mean, the pool thing was probably 30, 30 years ago, thirty one years ago, something like that. And I still remember that, you know. And so there are certain things that when when they happen, they just they they feel so deep, you know. Uh, those Thank you for sharing those. You know, I've interviewed tons of people. And well, I'm getting, I'm getting, literally getting yeah, chills. Yeah, I'm getting chills too. 
people that have had near-death experiences and uh, people just before they pass away, within the month of passing away, very often they see loved ones, but everything occurs as real. And even people who've had a near-death experience at the age of six, at the age of 90, they can still recall it like it was just yesterday. So I do believe that there are these otherworldly things that happen that, yeah, they're real. And that's why they're different than any other memories, right? And I have heard some incredible stories of uh, divine intervention, let's call it that. Yeah, I mean, that would be a great way to put it. That's, yeah, that is a great way that that I feel. That's you 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 encapsulated it perfectly. It's it's that exact feeling. Um, you know, it's almost like you're standing on a crowded train platform, and somebody pulls you just before the train goes. And you're like, oh hey, thanks. And then later on, like you happen to see footage of that train go by, and you realize you were a hair away from getting smashed. And then then it hits you. Then it really gives you that dump of feeling like, wow, that's exactly. And you know. Those are two. Those are two. I've had uh, one one more that's 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 still kind of kind of eerie, but um, you know, it's 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 aha moments. It's things like things like vivid dreams. There was one time I'll never forget this one. I had my dog from the time I was two until the time I was sixteen, wow. and as you get older, you you tend to take it for granted and things like that, and. Uh, a week before uh, they passed, I remember waking up with a dream, very vivid dream, and I went down and, and hugged her, and and laid next to her until uh, we woke up for school, and then a week later we had to put her down. Mm-hmm. So that is another very kind of a vivid thing. I, I still remember. I still remember. You know, the vivid dreams. Um, the divine encounters, all of these, it's kind of almost like building a circumstantial case with an absolute mountain of evidence. At some point, when you look at a circumstantial evidence case, like on a dateline or something, you, I mean, the amount of stuff that you've got is so great that to deny it is unreasonable. Now, that's just from my own experiences how I feel. The amount of resources that you have provided on your site from the links, seekreality.com and things like that, to me personally, there's a difference between being a skeptic and being a cynic. I'd like to think I have a very <clears throat> skeptical nature because if I'm hitching my wagons to a horse, I want to know that that horse is real. Yeah. But at the same time, if I constantly, okay, I don't believe it. So then you give me something. If I just keep raising the bar like a high jump, well, then no amount is going to be enough. So there's skeptics and there's cynics. I consider myself to be a very healthily skeptical person. But just with what I've experienced and the things that I've shared, uh, there's no doubt. Yeah, it's such a wonderful thing to explore. It's like an onion that you're peeling away the un- the layers, but you never get into the center because there's just there's more. Oh, yeah. and that's, oh. that's like even thinking of things on the quantum level. You know, do you remember the? Did you ever see the movie What the Bleep Do We Know? Oh yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it a ton of times. But I mean, it just for any of us to think that we are 
real. I mean, we feel real, but you know, if they were to put a camera in a, one of our little atoms that are inside of us, well, it wouldn't record anything. We're invisible. No. Like we're vibrating no. energy is all we are. Say it's 99 point like nine, 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 nine. Yeah. yeah. And we're living on this weird like that. We're living on this ball f- hurling around this ever expanding universe. Right. For anybody so, to think that this is it. Yeah. Right. And then we, you know, we have these cell phones, right. That they're not plugged into anything and then get all the information in the universe, yeah. not in the universe, but a lot of yeah. information. So how are we any different being able to pick up? How are we? It's my mind. Yeah. And we don't have to see it to believe it. You know, no. there's ultraviolet rays. There's all kinds of things in the invisible space. Well, sound. You know and, like think of with, uh, for example, with, with energy healing and things like that. Yeah. If I'm sick and somebody performs an energy healing on me, and all of a sudden it goes away and treat and, and now I'm I'm treading lightly because I do not want to I think all medicine has its place. Let me just be upfront and honest with you. I'm with you on but that as well. What I don't believe in is how somebody can say, okay, all this conventional stuff didn't work. We tried something alternative, it worked, but because it doesn't fit into your paradigm. You can't say this. You can use a term like spontaneous remission, which basically means I have no idea what the hell happened, but I've got to frame it in such a way that it makes sense to me for this line of thought. Again, to what we're talking about, everything is so vast, so unexplored, to all of a sudden put everything in that little cube because it sounds better to you, to me, that makes no sense. You can think I'm a nut all you want for thinking other things. Nobody's going to think you and you're nut. No, no, no. You know what I mean? It, well, it's interesting because when I started uh, being interviewed, when my book first came out 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I wanted to go on every show that people would ask me. So I said, yes. And then I realized there were people that had me on their shows just to make fun of me, to try to prove something. Sure. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to talk to the people that want to listen, that are really seriously interested. So then I started getting choosy. And I know people who are watching or listening to this show, they're open. And there's plenty of doctors and scientists and physicists that all believe in the afterlife. And that is exactly why I said I was going to tread lightly because out of respect for those people who have been on your show, who I mean, the the list of credentials for, for a lot of the guests in terms of the scientific field is amazing. And uh, one of my favorite episodes was, uh, Alan Alan Huguenot. Yeah. Wow. He, yeah, he, he's, yeah, engineer and all that. The things he was saying, how the, where the afterlife is on a yeah quantum level, and he is has that brain, but he went on to learn mediumship. Yeah. So for me, that was like, you know, the bright brain, the left double brain trouble right out. there because he can speak both languages. And I have had to listen to that so many times, and some of the things he says, they just oh. fly right over my head because it's it's oh. too much. Yes. But for those people who are deeply scientific. Oh, and that's perfect because when I get somebody who explains that in a way that if it was any other topic, 
it would sound like I'd be like being put to sleep because of the, the scientific nature. Mm-hmm. I want to listen to that person because they've got the mindset and the training to, of the scientific background. So when they explain it in those terms, I know that they are dialed into both the scientific and the metaphysical. And at some point there is, there is a melding of the two, you know, I think any great, um, you know, a, a lot of the greats, Tesla, Einstein, they always had that emphasis on that which we do not know. The imagination is more important than knowledge, quote from Einstein and, and Tesla, who was very in tune with, with things that would be considered ethereal. So I think it's very, either probably both premature and presumptive to think that it's only this right here. And then even if I don't understand this, it doesn't exist because this is what we're doing. Right. I want to talk to you about something tied in with martial arts now. And it's the mind. I, and many people do, have a very busy mind. It never shuts up. And Mm -hmm. I believe wholeheartedly that we get this mind um, and it creates this illusion that we are real because we're thinking. And and this mind, most 99% of the time is not our best friend. It's negative. No, No, it is not. That kind of thing. And everything I've learned for over 25 years now, the access to the hereafter, to new ideas, to healing, to so much is in the present moment. But it's very difficult to get to the present moment and stay in the present moment. I had done a practice through, I think it was a book or an audio that I read called Mushin, if I'm pronouncing that right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Now, I haven't been able to repeat it too much unless like, I think I was listening to the, to the audio. It brought me to a place of complete and utter mind chatter stopped. And I was 100% in the present moment with no thought feeling connected. I remember being outside and just feeling connected to all of it with no thoughts, no judgment, completely in the present moment. And that's some place I want to be again. And I know that you teach with your back pocket Zen, all kinds of things tied into that. But can you talk a little bit about training the mind in the absolutely moment? I want to know more. Oh, and by all means, I will. And, you know, what's funny is that I actually, there's a section in one of the resources in the course on Mushin. It uh, means no mind in Japanese. And that is something that I've had glimpses of doing this for 20, since 1994. So what, 20, 20 I don't know, 27 years, something like that. I've had glimpses of being in that in that space. Um, and, and I, I'd like to think that I, I've gotten to the point where I can at least start to put my big toe in the water of that space pretty much at will when I focus. Okay. Um, there's always one thing about martial art training, true martial art training is that you realize that once you get here, there's this much, and then when you get here, there's this much and not in the, not in the sense of learning new things. 
I'm at the point now where I don't, if I never learn another new technique, I don't care because it's not the point. The point is to take what you have and work on it until it, it you internalize it. That is why Tai Chi. That's why I love Tai Chi. There's, I mean, different styles of Tai Chi have different things, but generally speaking, each style of Tai Chi has one, maybe two forms instead of 10, 20, 30, and a lot of other styles of martial arts. They all have their point. They all have their place. What I like is having one thing I can do over and over and over again, because that way you internalize it and you internalize it. And when you do it enough, you end up with what exactly what you're talking about is that, that sense of no mind. That's exactly why Tai Chi is sometimes called moving meditation, because you are doing, you're moving in such a way that you're not, you're not zonked out. You're fully aware, as you said, in the present moment, and, and but your mind chatter is gone, and it is a great place to be. You know, it really, really is. I think it begins and ends with breathing. Okay, begins and ends with breathing, and and ironically, again, another avenue for the the melding of my two passions here is that the more you can access that headspace the more receptive you are to signs and messages and things like that. Um, the best analogy I can give you, and I've used this for years when I'm teaching, think of your mind as a snow globe, okay? Think of your mind as a snow globe. Pretty castle, very, just beautiful, beautiful landscape. And now when you shake it up, that can happen for two reasons. The external which would be our stimuli, like you said, our phones, uh, work, billboards, TV, radio, messages, subconscious things that come at you. That is the hand shaking up the snow globe. The other one is internal. It's the doubt, the fear, the guilt, the worry, the anxiety, all that stuff that is shaking up the snow globe from the inside. So the trick is to find a way to Settle that snow globe of your mind from the inside. We're always going to have the external distractions. The cool part about that is by focusing on the breathing, which I can get into in a sec, but also the the the, the idea of of really quieting your mind from the inside. When you can do that, the outside distractions, the handshake and the snow globe tends to fall away. Okay. So I have found that everything begins and ends with breathing. And the beauty of this is that this is something that you can do literally at any point, literally at any point during the day. I like to break this up into this little window into how I use these things. I break it up into 60 second blocks throughout the day because I don't know about you, but the whole, oh, it only takes 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. The moment I think about that, I have no 15 minutes a day. I have no 20 minutes a day. Even if I shorten it down to eight minutes a day, magically, I don't have these eight minutes anymore because it's it's a mind thing. I don't know. But I told myself, I've got 60 seconds at a time. So whenever I can, whenever something during the course of the day gets me out of sorts, gets me riled up or just pisses me off, which happens like 79 times a day for me. I get, I just get pissed or I get riled up or whatever. I've got to find a way 
to instantly bring myself back into that, that centered state. And it's as simple as breathing in a very specific way. Now, the way I choose to do it is a four count in and a four count out. Okay. So, and if somebody's not used to this type of a breathing, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. So here's what I would suggest. Can you teach us? We got to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna do it again. Right I know now. you've got so much more, but. No, no, no. I love no, talking to you. I would love to because this is this is so important, and this is what I want everybody as a takeaway. Is one of the takeaways from from our chatting today is that you have this tool within you at any time. You can use this, okay? And then we'll get we'll get into that in a little bit as to how you know I've experienced different things about messages and things like. But it's a direct result of this. So here's here's the way it goes. I would teach people to start breathing first of all when you say to somebody. Take a deep breath. Guarantee they're going to go like this. They're going to bring their belly in. They're going to breathe from the throat and they're going to shrug up. Okay. This is biomechanically the reverse of, of how you were supposed to breathe. When you watch somebody lay down and sleep, they inhale, their chest doesn't rise, their belly rises. And then exhale, the belly naturally falls. But when you think about it, you do it the backwards. You bring your stomach in. And you puff your chest out. And when you think about when you do that, you don't really get a good breath. Okay. You feel it in your throat. What you want to do is this. Lay on a bed or a floor or whatever's comfortable. I like taking a book about the size of a dictionary, putting it on your belly button, and then relax, turn your mind off, and inhale. Now, if you're, if, if you're new to this, you're going to kind of suck your belly in and puff your chest out, and then you're... You're, the book's going to fall, right? It's going to fall off. But what you want to do, and here's why the book is so important. You put the book there, not because it's a brick and it's going to be heavy, but it's enough weight for you to feel it on your stomach, okay? So just visualize that. And now as you inhale, think of bypassing. You're going to inhale through the nose. You're going to bypass the throat, bypass the chest, and your belly, you're not going to try to expand your belly. You're going to let your belly uh, expand almost like you're blowing up a balloon. And it's just, it's just rising of its own volition as you inhale. The reason why that book is important is that that book provides enough weight for you to feel the resistance of the book to let you know that you're breathing correctly. Okay. And then when you're at the top, so it's an inhale, you should strive to a four count. But I mean, if you're new to that, you might get three. That's totally cool. In the one, 1,000, two, 1,000, as long as it's a long, drawn out, measured breath, okay? Pause for a split second. And then when you exhale, do not force it out. You're not, you're literally just like a balloon. The balloon we just blew up, you're just going to go, and it's going to naturally, the balloon naturally falls. That is how you will exhale. And that's why that book provides that extra just enough weight for you to feel the falling and the rising, okay? So when you take that, when you're comfortable enough with that, do it anywhere. You could sit. What you want to do is, I think of it like a wheel, okay? A wheel in the mind. You're going to start it like a clock. You're starting here. Inhale, two, three, four. Now, at that moment, when you, when you have completed that fourth second, pause for a split second, and then exhale for three, two, and one, and pause for a split second, and then repeat the cycle. Now, what happens is when you focus on that, just the breathing aspect, 
you find with practice, your mind starts to naturally just fall into that rhythm and you stop trying to think of things. I've, believe me, I've taken many classes. I've, I can't spin chakra wheels in my mind and call, I tried it. It does not work for me. To me, it just seems like a hell of a lot of work that doesn't work for me. For me personally, when I focus on breathing and literally just breathing, it's amazing to me how many things just start to fall away. Okay. And five minutes can go by very quickly. But again, a lot of times we don't have five minutes at a time. I would like nothing more than to take a half an hour, put candles on, pop Enya in the CD player, and just relax. I can't do that. Good old Enya. <laughs> no, come on. I'm a huge fan. Pure Mood CDs back in the day, love them. Love all that stuff. I don't have that time. You know what I mean? So, But everybody's got 60 seconds at a time. And, and what you do is you focus with your breathing. That will allow you to get into that state where you can breathe. And you literally, you, you, you just become aware of your own breath. And when you do that, it's amazing the headspace you can you can find yourself in to literally be open to so many other things, you know. And that, that in a nutshell, that is, I think, the cornerstone of any kind of mind-body connection is you really. Mr. Miyagi said it in 1984. You know, I mean, he he had it right. The breathing is the key, and that is, it's it's been proven to me to be more correct. Every year I do this because as you get older, you don't, the emphasis is not on the combative aspect of things. The emphasis is on how well you can integrate these lessons and this training with your daily life, you know, and, and, and I never understood it until I was older when all these guys are like, why are you still training this stuff? You're not competing anymore. You're not, you know, you're not sparring, you're not fighting. Oh, I, I do it for stress relief. This and you're 16 years old. That doesn't make any sense to you, you know. Or you you can you you can intellectually understand it, but you don't get it until you're older, and then things get stressful, and now you really understand it, you know. So I'm, I've been very blessed that I've been able to have that that direction. I think either partially because that's where I was always interested in, but also I think again from that ethereal sense, being pulled to that side of things. That, you know, I was just talking to a student of mine the other day. He's actually this morning, he was 79 years old. And he was asking me about different exercises that he can do uh, for a certain medical issue that he was talking about. But it was amazing because this guy is still at it. He is, he's vibrant. He's, he's vital. And, and he's, he's doing different things. And he's always got a, a student's mind. You know what I mean? He's always got, in martial arts, they say you should always have a white belt mind, meaning you're a beginner. You should always have a beginner mind. And he, it's perfect. It's incidentally, he was one of the first three people I shared your podcast. <laughs> oh, bless Because you. he and I have always been in sync with this. And he's got, you know, he's he's of that variety. But he can appreciate. That is why I gear all my things towards a 40 and over crowd. Because I've found now they can much better appreciate what I have to offer because of life, 
life, you know, life has a way of forcing perspective on you, even if you don't want to. Doesn't it? You know? I, mean, I want to share something with you. And you might have heard of this, but this is just not quite two weeks ago, this research came out. Um, you, you hear these monks that meditate, you know, and they're these gurus, right? And that are attached or connected to all of life. And they hit this enlightenment, you know, with gazillion hours of meditation. And they've connected people to these EEG machines, you know, with the brain waves. Sure. Yeah. And um, like what we're in right now is beta, beta, right? You know, we're active, we're sure. together, whatever. Um, gamma is the next level and we rarely hit it. Sometimes when we sleep, we hit it, or sometimes we're in the zone or we get an idea, like we can kind of hit up there. And of course, when we're sleeping, it's uh Delta way down deep and yeah, Delta, theta, yeah. theta is like the meditation state. Well, these monks are most of the time in this higher gamma state. Okay. So I think that's first of all, fascinating and they do feel enlightened. They do feel connected. Maybe when we do motion and get that real present moment, maybe we get into that state. Well, some people died not too long ago and their family members gave permission for these EEGs to be hooked up. And no matter what brain state the person died in, just after they passed, the EEG showed them in gamma. Whoa. I know. So that's coming, that's coming out the, the latest science. And that, you know, people of near death experiences, I think, probably go into this gamma connected to all of it, right? Their family, their loved ones, whatever sure, experience, but they come back. So my instinct really is that in the dying process, our consciousness that connection to all of it is, you know, while we're in the physical is in this gamma state, but then our consciousness, the body dies off, but the consciousness, you know, continues on. Oh and yeah. So I am just, I, I'm reading, I'm learning absolutely everything and there's scientists and doctors and everything talking about this, but it goes right along with that enlightenment, oh. that in the moment and it's good stuff. Well, can you have any, can you blame them for not wanting to come back? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why'd you why'd you bring me back? Like, you, we hear that a lot in these in these accounts when they're a lot of times they're even depressed for a matter of oh, weeks. Yeah, because yeah. Of that, it's like, well, can you blame them? I mean, absolutely. Like, I agree. Yeah, you know? and then you. So you know, I'm not in a rush to get there. Let's put it that way. But it's gonna be cool when we do. Yeah. <laughs> And our loved ones will be there and oh, pets. And, yeah. Yeah. and you know, the funny thing about this whole thing to me is, is what focusing on your breathing does is it detaches you from any kind of outcome. I think that is the key right there. Okay. When you're talking about signs and I've had a few angel encounters, divine intervention encounters. I've had a, a, a lot more signs and coincidences and we can fill up a whole other thing about that, but what I found was that happened when I was in a place where I was either so mentally fatigued out of grief or not looking for a sign. And I'm a huge believer. And I mean, no offense, because I know, believe me, I'm still going through the grieving process for my mother-in-law, as is my wife, and it's very difficult. But there's two different things. 
There's your natural state, which we can get to with the breathing pattern and the mushin and the no mind. Then you've got people who are so in their own heads with grief, with worry, fear, anxiety, doubt, all that stuff. It turns off the ability to receive. Now, on the other hand, this is what a lot of people don't talk about. On the other hand, you've got people who are so desperate for a sign, they're low. Well, the license plate is 5426. Oh, 5 plus 4 is 2, 6, 8. Oh, it's 11, 8. Oh, and I'm not making fun. No. But when you're doing that, that's the same thing as turning it off. Because now you're you're trying to look at it from the point of view of what you think it should be. Right. As opposed to what is. A great analogy for this. When I teach uh, self-defense classes especially women's self-defense classes. There's there's a great book I read called The Gift of Fear. And what it basically says is that your intuition, your 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 the gut feeling is in inbred and born in us from our caveman days. But due to today's society with constant stimulation, that can either deaden that to where you just think, oh well, no, that gut feeling, you know, you feel something with your gut. On the other hand, you, you talk yourself out of it with your mind, right? Because of that, you're so dead into that. On the other hand, there's this stereotypical old woman clutching her purse where every move is a is a potential attacker. Now, that is a hypervigilant state. So one is turned off. One is uber turned on. Both of them are deadening that natural intuition. Insofar as receiving signs go, when you are not in the right space of mind, you can either be overcome with grief, which I completely understand, and and regret and worry and fear, or you can be seeking a sign. And you can be looking around and looking around and looking around and seeking a sign. Um, The week after my mother-in-law passed away, there were so many signs that were coming at us. It was, it was not even, it was unbelievable. Okay. It was Such as? what kind of signs? I mean, bluebirds were her were her thing. Okay. We saw how many pairs of bluebirds, her and her twin sister, who had passed away a few years prior. I don't remember the last time I saw a pair of birds any kind flying, let alone landing. A monarch butterfly who was her other favorite symbol. I opened up the door, it's on my doorstep. Oh. I mean, th- but it's it's things like this. Yeah. Uh, when I was driving my father-in-law to to the um, facility to handle the cremation services, there was a wrought iron statue, and I had never been this way, of two monarch butterflies right there. It's it's things like that. It's things like that that hit you at the exact right time that you need them. One of uh, a very powerful one for me was aside from that. There was that was the tip of the iceberg for for that week. It was it was ridiculous how many came at me. My father's cousin had a husband who had passed away recently within the last year, and he was a wrestling coach. I'm a martial artist. We always got along very well. I've known him since I was a little kid. He coached at my dad's old high school, whose colors were red and gray. And he had a, a gray beard and would wear the maroon sweater. So they always called him. They always say he looked like an old man cardinal, like an old bird, like an old cardinal. Well, he passes away. I cannot get up there in time for, for the wake. 
And I'm feeling very bad about it. I mean, I'm at work and, you know, it's very busy. So you've got to kind of keep your, get your mind right for that. But then it's still weighing on you, right? I go out for lunch. There was a cardinal. I didn't know it was a cardinal at first because it was so gray. It was old. And it was literally sitting on the, on the stoop next to the door where my, where my cubicle is, right? And I got pictures of them because I was like, I, I want, this is ridiculously cool. So I, I get closer and I'm getting closer. I mean, I got about six inches away from this thing and he was letting me take pictures of him. I leave, I come back a half an hour later, he's still there. Oh. I go to, to leave probably about three hours later. He had actually laid down and passed away right by the door. I scooped him up very gently and walked him around to the side of the building where there's a couple of pine trees that kind of overgrows to there's that barren area of needles underneath it. Made a little mound, laid him in there, said goodbye. I was starting to cry. That was, Steve was his name, his way, letting me say goodbye to him. So, but again, this happens when you're in the right Headspace. If I was thinking about something else, I could have missed that sign. I'm so glad I did not. That is why this is so important to me because it's kind of like a lesson learned should be a lesson shared. Okay. That's, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. You know, I mean, we have, it's so easy for us to get consumed with the grieving process. And, and that I understand. What I'm really working hard on myself is letting go of like regret, guilt, things like that, because those are, I think they're kind of manufactured emotions. You know, I mean, I think that a lot of times if I know intellectually something, it's a lot easier for me to get there experientially if I, if I know intellectually what the end result is. That is why I love your show. You know, you've got so many people, reputable, scientific, just hard-nosed, fact-based people pointing us in this direction. So when I know that, that and all the experiences that we've gone through, I mean, there's no no doubt to me. To me, the dumb thing would be to ignore it and just say it doesn't exist because I can't see it. That's dumb to me. Very, very one-sided okay mm-hmm. so i think that when you know the intellectual when you intellectually through the facts and through the evidence presented it's a lot easier to get to that point to go through the experience so when i know that the hard thing for me is to start to let those feelings of guilt and and um you know, things that you beat yourself up over regret let that try to fall away because this is the way I tell myself when I do this. And believe me, I'm not, I am not trying to be preachy at all. I work on this every day because I have to, because it's hard. <laughs> uh, we have to treat ourselves with kid gloves a little better. We have to be easier on ourselves. We have to know that. If I know that we're all going to see each other again and everything is going to be fine, um, you know, just as Roberta, I'm sorry that I messed your name up earlier. Roberta Grimes said she won't mind. <laughs> uh, it it uh, if you know that that's the the end result, then why not 
kind of ace the lessons, as she said. I think she said ace the lessons. And it makes so much sense. So for me personally, knowing that we don't die, we go on, that we're all going to see each other again somewhere very soon. Let the let it let it go. You know, it's easier said than done, but but when I can do this, and and what I want to impart to people is that you can get there in 60 seconds at a whack. You know, you can do this little by little. It doesn't have to be a, a grandiose thing. It's little things at a time. I'll tell you, when you when you detach from any kind of outcome, <clears throat> excuse me, when you detach from any kind of outcome, you allow yourself quiet the snow globe and just be and exist. And it's amazing what starts coming into you, you know? I mean, it's really amazing. I have to tell you one more story. I was at the library, the library that I grew up at, and I had, at the time, I had worked across the street. So a couple times a week, I would go across the street on lunch just to, because it's quiet, <laughs> and I wouldn't be bothered, right? So <clears throat> I'm walking down the aisle, and I see a book. It's on the end of the bookshelf, and I don't know the Dewey Decimal System. Unless it's what I'm looking for, I don't really pay attention. So it's sitting right there. It's a green book, about an 8 by 10, with a picture of a little girl, kind of those old 40s, 50s, like the kids sitting there with a three-quarter return, kind of a profile pic. And it just says, Linda is the name of the book. And it was, I think it was E. Wasserman. I walked by and it caught my eye because it's an old book. It, it looked like it was a magazine. It just looked very out of place. And I walked by and I, I just never would never would look at it. I, I would see it. And for whatever reason, I would always look at this book. Well, till one day I finally went up to the, it wasn't there. So I said, well, well hell, somebody probably took it out the one day I wanted to, wanted to take it out, right? So I go over to the reference librarian and I'm like, do you happen to know when that book is back in? And he looks he looks it up and he's like, what book, sir? I told him, uh, it's Linda. Uh, E. Wasserman, I think it is. We're not showing that book as ever being on our shelf here, sir. And it was one of those like Twilight Zone music kind of things at that moment. Well, I go to look it up. This book was actually, I'm almost positive her name is Eleanor. I, I apologize, but it's Wasserman. The name of the book is Linda. It was written as a vivid dream from Linda, who died as a child, as dictated to her mother. I'm telling you, right? Now, why would I make that? You can't make that up. I, I'm, I'm walking by. The only reason that comes out is because I, I recognized or I, I noticed the, the, the cover of the book as being totally unique and a little off. Like, what is this doing? And it, it seemed, it, it, you can even Google the, um, the, the picture. It's a green cover. And it was completely out of place. But I didn't know what that book was until I went back to my office and looked it up. When he first of all, the Twilight Zone music kicked off when he said, We don't have that book. We never had that book. That was whoa, that was weird. Then when I looked it up, then it really got weird because then I'm like, wow, now that's at the time I thought it was eerie, but now I think it's just another one of those intuitive nudges. Yeah, Why? Great. Because the library was my place to go yep. to quiet my mind. And not be bothered for a half an hour, you know. So that to me just served as another validation point of when I make the effort to get in that right state of mind, 
these things just keep coming, you know? Oh, and, and that is. I, wa- I want to say a few things and then I want to ac- ask you about Back Pocket Zen and yeah. our time is coming to a close here. Oh. But anyways, you think about what you want to say about that. But first I want to say, I want to go back to talking just a little bit about grief, just to for anyone who's in that mode right now, the more we love, the more it hurts. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. And our brain chemistry actually changes. We lose healthy neurotransmitters in our brain while we're grieving. So as much as we want to turn it off or fast forward through it and all these things, like I should be able to feel better by now, your brain is in whole body chemistry is adjusting to a new reality. You absolutely have to be gentle on yourself. The feelings of guilt and regret, those are actually a given part of grief. Now be gentle on yourself because we don't want to think them. And the more our brains think thoughts, the more we continue to, we build a habit. If you can substitute that moment, that minute of being in the present moment, doing that breathing exercise that we just learned, not only does that short circuit those feelings or slide in some gratitude, you know, those kind of things, but it helps raise those healthy neurotransmitters as well. So anytime you can get into that present moment, it really helps or do things like call a friend, listen to music, go outside. This might be the last thing you feel like doing, but turn on some music like you listened to when you were in high school and just move the body a little, be with kids, play with puppies and kitties, all of those things. Yes. They'll make you feel better, but it helps bring those neurotransmitter levels back up. For me, when my dad passed and dad and I were very close, you know, I just recognize that I'm not the same Sandra and, you know, as awful as I felt, because I hit rock bottom. I mean, it was awful, but it had me explore grief. And without that, I would have never had the book. I would have never had this show. So, I mean, it was a good thing. But it took that for me to really start learning. And it took literally about four years when all of a sudden I felt like this cloud was lifted. I felt like I'm back. So after I did the research about how our brain chemistry or you know whole chemistry changes, I thought that's how long it took for my system to be whole again. Even though I believed in the afterlife and I think we should really stay connected, listen to podcasts, read books, you know, take seminars, whatever that may be. Um, but keep yourself plugged in, come to our Sunday gathering. It's the best thing on planet earth. I love it. Uh, because it's just so motivational, but anyways, back to you. No, no, I, I, I love that you said that. And I'll tell you why I actually put in a few different points of this course, the issue of mental health is very serious. I am not a doctor. This is my area of expertise. This is what it's for. I, I had that disclaimer front and center, okay? Because that is this is not a diagnostic thing. But to your point, completely agree with you. The grieving process is unique to each person. And it is, you have to, like you said, those are natural parts of the grieving process. You can't circumvent them. You must go through them at some point. That's what sucks. And honestly, you said it the best too. You're not the same person. 
you're you've morphed into a different version of yourself based on the situation that you've gone through. And it's really what all of us have to do. I think a lot of times if you have guilt or regret, you show me somebody who's hanging on to something, resisting that change. And I'll show you somebody who has guilt or regret or, or something like that, because you're, you're literally dug in, not you're it's, it's a, it's a doorway we all have to go through in terms of the experience and letting it go through, letting it play out. You have no choice. You don't. It's going to happen. What you can do is find ways to remain present because when you're present, you allow them to pass. You allow them to go through. When you resist that is where you get that tension. That is where the, the the guilt and the regret and the feeling, that is why it's so important for me to have that certainty in the afterlife. I know that's where we're going. I allow myself to grieve. Even if I know I'm going to see them again. You must. You weep, you sob, you, you go through the whole thing because it shows that you love them. That's all. Doesn't mean you're, you might, doesn't mean you're going to lose them. It just means you love them. So, you know, when you think about that, that that's what, uh, when you know where you're going, you can experience that. Moving, movement. The, what they say, motion creates emotion, right? You get up and you do different things. I designed the course to be done at 60 second intervals. It's breathing and it's a handful of basic motions that are designed to get your body used to moving. And so as you can do it in conjunction with breathing, it allows you to now feel your body moving. Okay. When you breathe and are aware of your body moving, these are things that are very at the core of arts like Tai Chi, as well as energy work, different types of energy work. It's breathing combined with motion. The combination of those two allows you to remain present. I can honestly tell you this. I can honestly tell you this. I have never done any of these exercises or the outgrowth being Tai Chi or any kind of a martial art um, meditative practice, not something very hard, you know, things like that. I'm talking about more of the Tai Chi aspect of things, any kind of motion. I've never ended in a worse mood than when I started. And, and that is a huge thing because there are times, especially when I'm going through, when I have gone through very difficult things, the last thing I wanted to do was do this. But I know enough about this stuff to know that's exactly when I need to do that stuff. Right. I had to get up, suck it up, and just do it. And here's the kicker. You do it for 60 seconds. That turns into five minutes. Or if all you got 60 seconds at a time, you can use it, break glass in case of emergency when you need it the most, and do it then. And what you're gonna what you're gonna find is that that's going to get you out of your head and in the present moment. And when you do that, not only are you better able to process and go through the grieving process, but you're also able to receive signs. I'm a huge believer that. Does this mean if you do these exercises that whenever you think of a cardinal, it's going to appear or a butterfly appear or the road? No, they're not here to amuse me. You know what I mean? Like they got stuff to do just like I do, right? They're not going to drop what they're doing to do that. I'm a huge believer that they will do that 
when I'm in most need of just that extra little, okay, this is going to be okay. So if I can work on getting to that point and just make it a daily habit to do this a few times a day, just one, one little technique or one exercise and just the breathing pattern, just literally 30 seconds, 60 seconds, you know, at a bathroom break, you know what I mean? Something like that. Anything, hey, keeping it real, right? Anytime you got to do it, that when you do that, it's almost like you start to train your mind to reside in that state a little bit more. Okay. So we're not, we're still going to be, you know, subject to the stimuli of the outside world and, and, you know, our normal things. Like I said, I get pissed like 79 times a day, but having that ability to at least keep yourself within arm's reach of that state goes a long way in terms of not only living more present, being more receptive to the signs that keep coming, as well as when when that time comes, and it will come, that you have to go through a grieving process, it, it, it at least allows you to treat yourself a little better. And at the same time, do not let things like guilt or fear or obligation or whatever pull you away from what you know is your path. That's the other kicker. When you know in your gut, in your heart, whatever, what your path is, it's very easy to be dissuaded by either your own doubts or well-meaning but but bad-intentioned people who give you their advice, which is really their own experience cloaked as advice. I've learned that the best thing to do is to just get to that center point, breathe, and and listen. Really quiet your mind, detach from any outcome, quiet the snow globe, and just listen to what they're saying. You know, that's my big thing. I'll leave you with one thing. Something I call the John Denver test. When I was in high school. No, this is true. This is I true. love John I mean, Denver. I, I love him. I love him. I was so I was so angry at myself. This is this is this is true. High school, our senior writing class, we got newspapers once a week and we had to do current events and things like that. Well, it was a it was Chicago Sun Times, and it was the kind of paper that read like the Inquirer. So instead of a regular paper, it read like a big magazine. Well, it opens up. John Denver's coming to the Park West. And I'm like, that's awesome. I made the mistake of saying that to my friends. They tore me a new one. They just made fun. They just, they ripped me a new one. They just, it was the, and like a moron, I listened to them, you know, like I let them dissuade me out of going to see John Denver. I wanted to see John Denver, you know, and uh, he passes away in a plane crash the next year. And I never forgot that. I was like, you know what? That is the last time. And letting a fear of what anybody thinks stop me from doing something that I want to do. Amen. Amen, brother. Now, now, if my if my if my desire was to get drunk and then try to bungee jump with a rope, I'll let you talk me out of that. That's probably a good idea. That's when it different. comes to doing things that I know in my gut that I wanted to do, and I listened to my buddies, just and you know what the kicker was. After I said this to my friend, he was, I wouldn't want to go see John. 
Why didn't you tell me that? Then we could have gone. No, we didn't. Because, but you know what? Lesson learned. You'll I'll see John, John Denver, Denver sometime, not too soon. But I was going to say, I can still get to see John Denver soon enough. He's so still performing in the afterlife. Absolutely. You know, I'll, I'll get to see him front row. You know, it ain't, it ain't that big a deal right now. But it taught me a very, oh, yeah. very valuable lesson yeah. is that, you know, you get in tune, live in the present, focus on your breath, follow your path, and don't let anybody tell you differently. That's honestly, when I go to teach somebody a martial art, I don't try to pitch them. I show them what I do. And if if they're a good fit, then, then we can work. If they're not, that is not a problem. I don't try to justify to them what I teach, how I train, what I do. And I mean that in the, in the most non-confrontational, nice way possible. I don't care either way. If you like what I do, then we can talk, ask all the questions you want. If, if it's not a good fit for you, I got I know a handful of guys that would probably suit you better. I will gladly point you in their direction. You can get what you need. But I have no desire to, I, I have no need to prove anything to anybody. You know, and I think that that is something that it took me a long time to get to. And I think that, again, a lesson shared is a lesson learned. You know what I mean? Was a lesson learned is that it should be a lesson shared. <laughs> that is is what I think that is such a huge point. You you get in your own, quiet your snow globe. Quiet your snow globe, put it down, let it settle. And then you're going to be so much more impressed and happy with what presents itself. Detach from the outcome and let it unfold. Oh, well, Bob, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you so much for letting me. Oh, I absolutely. And to our listener or, or our viewer, go to backpocketzen.com. He's got a very reasonably priced yeah, course yeah. that you can do and, and learn all of these. And that's exactly practices. why, just, just as an aside, I did it that way for a very specific reason. I want everybody to, to know... I don't want anybody to be, I don't want that to be a barrier to learning this stuff. You know, I really do believe, was it Ram Das? We're all just walking each other home. That's a huge quote. I love that quote. And it's just, it's so true. You know, so it's like, lesson learned is a lesson shared. I'll say it again. That's right. And that's why I give away, that's why I give away more copies of my book than I sell. Because we got to have the information. You know what? When you do it that way. I found that when you when you when you do that, when you put that out there, it comes back. It you know? does. It, it does. And honestly, I just because I know we know what it's like to grieve. We know what it's like to lose. And if we can help people just a little bit, this is something nobody can walk the, the road for us. We've all got to do it in our own way. But if we can be just that little just that little nudge. So be it. Yeah. Awesome. Beautiful. I've loved our time together and to our, thank you so much. Oh, thank you too. Uh, Where in the world do you live? By the way, I meant to ask. I live in the Champaign-Urbana area of Illinois by the University of Illinois by U of I. It's about 120 miles due south of Chicago. Matter of fact, where I work, butts up against 57. So I like to joke that if I just hopped the fence and went north, I could get off in two hours and be in my hometown. So it's nice to know that I have that mental link that it's due north, 120 miles. 
Well, and I know people can reach you at your website too. Go to backpocketzen.com. His email address is there. Weirder things have happened. There could be somebody listening or watching right now that's your neighbor who wants to come check out your classes. Yeah, just uh, Robert at robertbartkowski.com. It's on the site. And, uh, you know, any questions about anything, please feel free to reach out and, and, and let me know. It's amazing the... The way things come at you when you're you're feeling you might be feeling a little down, you might be feeling a little just happened two days ago. I was feeling a little frazzled, a little down, a little whatever. And I got a phone call from uh, one of my former students who just retired as a police officer said, Hey, I just want to let you know I'm retired. Love you, I'm thinking of you. Because we had trained a lot for his job as a police officer. It's a hell of a nice little thing to have pop on your phone at 7:30 at night. You know, who'd have known? So it's nice when you try to live that way and in that headspace, these these nice things, they, they come at as if by coincidence, but I firmly believe there's no such thing as coincidence. It is either all signs that are coming at you. We are just either open to them or, you know, not at the time. It's like a phone. You just got to call back later, you know? So we're never actually just shut off. We might just be temporarily blocked because of not being in the right headspace. I agree. That's some good closing words. Well, we'll let our listeners or our viewers go. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Uh, thank you so very much for having me on the show. You're welcome. And as always, our home base is we don't die.com. Go check it out. Press the buttons, press the tabs, join our Sunday gathering, come take a course, whatever. Lots of podcast episodes for you to listen to. My name is Sandra Champlain. I want to remind you that you are a phenomenal soul, divine soul, having a human experience, your life matters, and you are loved. So I want to thank you for listening or for watching, and we'll see you soon.